Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And I'm here as always with my co-host, my comrade, my colleague, my compatriot, Ross Ferguson. <laughs> Glad to be back. <laughs> I was I, trying to think of another C word that I, would go with this. You know, I think we need to change the star and just go for this is his title. Move on. Yeah. No, come on. It's it's fun, Ross. Have a little fun. Yeah, well, I think what you should do is look at the recent reviews and you'll soon see that <laughs> something crops up uh, in terms of my title. All right. You're not only an academic advisor, you're a podcast advisor too, yeah, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking of reviews, I got the, the reviews pulled up. Let mm-hmm. me read some of the, we got some new ones here. Uh, this comes from Arturo, five stars. He says, the Lord is highly glorified through the topics that are discussed and Ross Ferguson's accent. <laughs> what, what that's, is that? that's all I bring. I, bring <laughs> I mean, it's a good thing to bring on a podcast is your voice, but. Yeah. Well, I, um, what do you think Arturo means? So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a compliment. The Lord is highly glorified through your accent, brother. This is how God made me. I don't, <laughs> I don't really have a choice in the matter. But what about my accent, Arturo? I think we covered that several weeks ago. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think what he's trying to say is the the topics are uh, edifying and it's enhanced by having your accent See, on what there. I hear about that is you should pick the topics and I should speak solo episodes. It's, That's kind of what I read. <laughs> it's like, so I should write the scripts and just... Just give ju- them to me. Just back off the podcast, yeah. basically. Okay, all right. Well, maybe that's what he meant. Uh, five stars from Dan. Uh, helpful and down-to-earth, Dan says, I really appreciate the way that Jared takes everyday ministry issues and talks about them as a peer and not as an expert. Uh, well, I'm, yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's sort of a backhanded compliment. Isn't it? <laughs> he, he speaks, at, you know, uh, yeah, Jared uh, talks like a guy who doesn't know uh, what he's talking about. <laughs> no, that's not what he says. He says, uh, he talks about them as a peer and not as an expert or some authority on high. I would not be intimidated sitting down and sharing an iced tea with Jared like I would many other well-known leaders in the church. I started reading this before I knew where it was going. <laughs> so uh, it sounds self-serving that I'm reading this thing. It's very complimentary. Dan, you're, you're very kind. He's, he finishes his review saying, thanks for the helpful interviews and encouragement along the way. Dan, I'd love to have iced tea with you, brother. Although uh, at my uh, stage of life, it probably have to be unsweet. I know that's a crime against Southern humanity, but and just just so you're aware, I am available too okay. for for our sit down. <laughs> no mention, none no, at all. I'm sorry, brother. Uh, yeah, Dan, don't forget Ross. He has he has a great accent. Uh, this is from Spencer. Five stars. Great podcast for anyone involved in church. Ross Ferguson is great. He says, "There you go." All right, so quit your whining. Let's read the next line, though. Ross Ferguson is great, and there is also Jared Wilson. (laughs) (laughs) He is also someone who exists. (laughs) Uh, He says, don't worry, Ross, we remember your position title. Every podcast covers a needed topic. Really enjoy the guest speakers, authors that have me going to Amazon to find their books immediately after those episodes. Great work, Jared. Keep it up. That's awesome. I think we've read Cat. We have another yeah. review here. But I think we've read Cats before. So some great reviews. You know what? And if you want to hear your name and your review on the podcast, um, just make sure it's an equal opportunity compliment. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> 
This is not a competition, all right? Five stars, Ross's voice. <laughs> How many stars for Jared's voice? You know what? Your accent is uh, highly glorifies the Lord, and uh, and so does my content, and that's fine. It's like peanut butter and chocolate. They're they're great together. No. No? You, no? You're not a peanut butter and chocolate uh, guy? So I'm going to say something oh, that is, is, is quite literally going to offend every American okay. listening to this. Peanut butter <laughs> in the UK, yeah. we give to dogs. <laughs> like to make the medicine go down? Kind no, of thing? It's, it's like a, a treat for dogs. Oh, so okay. I don't, I don't... So you don't eat like Reese's peanut butter cups or anything like that? Not really, no. Okay. Peanut Man. butter is for dogs. <laughs> well, this is from the... Just to keep this in context, this is from the world of Scottish cuisine, right? Yeah, yeah. I guess. I guess, right? <laughs> I okay. am brute. That's not for dogs. <laughs> the innards of a sheep. <laughs> that's for anyone. <laughs> okay, that's for anybody. Hey, it's a mailbag episode. We should jump into some questions. We've got a lot of great questions. Actually, I don't know that we're going to get through all of these great questions, and we may have to save some. If you don't hear uh, your question on here, um, you submitted one via social media, uh, likely we're going to save it for a, another mailbag episode because we've got some good ones and it's going to be hard kind of limiting our conversation on each of these to try to do them rapid fire, but we'll do our best. And so let's go ahead and jump in. This comes from Josh on Twitter. Josh asks, I've heard people say that pastors are held to a higher standard. Is that true or false? And if it's true, what higher standard is there that is higher than the scriptures? Uh, that's a great question, Josh. Are pastors held to a higher standard? What do you think, Ross? I'm going to say yes. Okay. But I'm not going to say beyond Scripture. Mm, okay. Yeah. What other higher standard is there yeah. beyond, beyond that is Scripture? Your, that is your standard, but Scripture definitely gives a hint to the higher standard. I yeah. Believe. I mean, it's it's um, we have the qualifications lists, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, uh, 1 Peter 5. Um, that would show us that there is a higher bar in terms of... Um, you know, godliness I, that all Christians should aspire to. I, I don't think it means like only pastors should work towards these things or aspiring pastors should work towards these things. Um, and in in many respects, when you read through those, you know, qualifications lists, they very much sort of mirror or complement like the fruit of the Spirit, you know, things that the Holy Spirit is doing in every believer's life over time through the work of progressive sanctification. So in that sense, you know, um, it's the kind of standard that every Christian should aspire to, standard of godliness. But it's saying that, yeah, pastors should um, demonstrate maturity and, you know, they do have a higher standard in that regard. Yeah, I also took James 3.1. I got it right here on my um, list too. Yeah, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that those who will teach will be judged with greater strictness. And then combine that with 1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. It's kind of a heavier judgment yeah. and a higher honor. Um, but again, that would be based on 1 Timothy 3, those passages that if that is honored or dishonored, yeah. then judgment or honor comes your way. And I think it's not explicitly saying, pastors, you will be held hold to a higher standard, but we're getting the hint in these verses. Yeah. But I definitely want to say to the question, it is not beyond scripture that they're held to higher standard. We should not hold them to something that is not found in scripture, ultimately. Yeah, and I, I, I guess... You know, I guess you could read Josh's question that way, which is to say uh, a higher standard than what? Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I think it, I read his question to mean are held to a higher standard than those who are not pastors, yeah. but I don't, I don't take him to mean um, a standard other than scripture. Yeah. But um, the James 3.1 passage is is interesting thing to me because I, I heard somebody bring up several years ago that perhaps the the greater strictness 
um, isn't from the Lord, but from the from those in the church. That when you teach, you're on, you're you know you're in the hot seat, or you're judged, you're evaluated. I mean, right? the that... Bereans of the church are measuring you against Scripture. That that's a, a you know they're judging with greater strictness than if you weren't. You know. I mean, uh, I can see both. They're going yeah. to judge you no matter what. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's a that is going to happen. Whether yeah. that's what James is speaking yeah. to, I'm I'm not sure. Do you think the Lord judges? Yeah, pastors. Well, more strictly, I think Timothy also tells us pay attention to your own teaching. Yeah. Not only will you be saved, but others also. So you're responsible for leading others to or away from Christ, depending on what you're teaching. Yeah. So. In, in terms of the Lord judging you, you know, it's not just you you're impacting, you're potentially impacting, you know, tens, hundreds, thousands. Yeah. And I would not want to be the guy that leads them away from sound doctrine uh, and be standing <laughs> well, yeah. before the Lord. Right, you know? yeah. Um But, you know, I think it's also one of the things, I've seen this in churches before, where to hold pastors to that higher standard, what they've done is when it comes to voting a pastor in, that that role has a higher percentage that needs to be achieved than any other role. So I've I've been in a church where um, I really hope this doesn't offend people, uh, where deacons had like a 60, 65% um, that they had to achieve to be able to become a deacon, but to become a pastor, you had to have an 80% vote of the church. It's, oh, I see. It's because they're the ones that are leading. And it comes to the phrase of, as the leader, so the church. So therefore there is a higher percentage. And I think that's kind of coming from these passages. Yeah. You're going to be the guy we're going to follow who ultimately follows the shepherd, so we, we need to make sure you're the right person. Yeah, we have some of that embedded. I don't know all the figures in my head in terms of the bylaws at, at, at our church at Liberty Baptist, where it's not just a simple majority on some of these things, affirmation of elders and, and whatnot. I think it's probably like three-fourths or something like that. Three, or three-quarters if you're from I'm across sorry. the pond. Three-quarters, yeah, yeah. I also think of Hebrews 13, 17, mm. it says um, that leaders of the church— uh, will have to give an account for the souls that they oversee. They're they're you know charged with with having watch over souls, and they're going to have to give an account. And you know that would be another sort of factor in in the idea that gosh they're responsible for caring for Christ's lambs. And you know if you're kind of drawing a, a line from um, Christ's admonition or commandment really to Peter, there is sort of a it doesn't make pastors more holy, doesn't make pastors super Christians or anything like that, but it does mean that there is, I guess, a sense of a higher standard. There, there's a privileged position that pastors have where you, you're you involved in people's real tough situations in life. So I'm just thinking in my mind, who do you want doing hospital visits with people? And and if you're just going to say, well, anyone can do that, the reality is yeah, that's not true. Right. It, 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 there is a role here, and that is the standard that we're listening to. But all of that's found in Scripture. Yeah, it's good. All right, here's uh, Darren from Facebook. Darren asks, should a disqualified pastor have his books, podcasts, et cetera, removed from publication? This is such a sticky question. It comes up almost every, you know, every time there's a, a major fall from a you know public leader who's got best-selling books or, um, you know, conference speaking and all that sort of thing. And is there a clear answer? Well, I, I'd, I'd love to hear your I'm I'm going to sit on the fence on this one. Okay. I'm going to say yes and no. Okay. Um, I, I think the reality is you can't just wipe somebody out. Right. You, you can't just pretend that their life didn't exist and their writings didn't exist and their sermons didn't exist. Yeah. And with the age of internet, like there, there's almost an impossibility to wipe everything out. Yeah. You can't just take that out. But there's a part of me that, that wants to say, 
what's the disqualification? Yeah. Because if this is a matter of abuse, I, I don't think we want to be promoting any form of abuse. And I think we want to be siding with victims of yeah. abuse. So we yeah. want to be removing anything that potentially would harm them further. But if this is a disqualification within a local church, um, I don't want to give levels of disqualifications, but if this is just a situation that they've disqualified, the reality is what they have previously taught, written, or, or spoken about isn't necessarily wrong. Yeah. It's just that their life is no longer portraying what they may have have taught on. And I think that gets into a really sticky situation to say every word you've ever spoken is not right and tarnished now. I'm not sure if I would go that far. Right. Yeah, no, and I'm in the same, um, I, I'm thinking along the same lines, which is to say, is the disqualification the result of a pattern that would bring into question the integrity of the things that they have said before? So they're talking about, you know, pastoral ministry, or they're talking about things that there was a pattern that that essentially reveals that 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 was dishonest or was a lie. So say that they have, um, you know, patterns of abuse or you know, um, you know, anger issues, uh, or they've been engaged in sexual immorality, you know, since they were in ministry, that sort of thing, and it essentially undermines the testimony. But if we're talking about something that is certainly disqualifying, but doesn't have, it's not part of a larger pattern that kind of goes back over into their past that would say, well, gosh, we have to question everything they said because these stories weren't true or they weren't accurate or they weren't honest. That's a separate issue. Yeah. It, it, I don't know that it's a black or white thing. No, yeah. and fast forward to when their disqualifications had time. They've spent time in ministry. Maybe they write a book about, hey, th this is what happened to me and I want to write a book to make sure it doesn't happen to any other pastor. Yeah. I've learned from my mistakes. Are we saying that they should never write that and that should never be public because they were once disqualified? Yeah, I, I think it's for me the hard no is is on an abuse situation. Yeah. Um. Outside of that, I I think it's case by case and also potentially conscience as well. If a church feels specifically that they don't want to promote that individual's sermons, then I think they're well within their right to remove them from a website. Yeah. Trying to wipe them out entirely, I think that's an impossible task. Yeah, and I think the other factor is, are they demonstrating signs of repentance mm. and you know the that wouldn't necessarily restore them to leadership, of course, uh, at least in the short term anyway, but that would restore them to fellowship. So if they're just blatantly unrepentant, they're not, you know, sorry for what they've done, they're, they're you know, victim blaming and so on and so forth, th that would be, I think, a cause to say, well, gosh, now they actually have brought their profession of faith into question. They're under church discipline. That would cause me to lean more towards let's remove some of their stuff because we don't know that they're a believer at this time. But if they are engaging mm -hmm. in, you know, attempts to make it right and they're, you know, demonstrating signs of repentance, that would, you know, lean me to be more positively, you know, disposed towards them, I think. Um, it's a big question and probably would deserve its own episode, I guess. And, um, you know, maybe people would like us to just start naming people and say whether we think their <laughs> stuff should be in print, but I we're mean, not going to do that. A few names came to mind. <laughs> well, I mean, there are some big names that people should think about and, um, you know, whether you think their book should be around or podcast should be around. Um, you know, I guess it just, it's a case by case situation. Mm. I think it's a matter of discernment. Okay. Here's Aaron on Twitter. Aaron says, um, I heard a well-known pastor say all elders are biblically called to be shepherds. However, it's okay for some to focus more on flock focused shepherding while others focus more on sheep focused shepherding. 
is this a biblically faithful way to understand eldership? Flock-focused shepherding, sheep-focused shepherding. Now, we talked a little bit about this before <laughs> um, off, offline in show prep, and you said, what's the difference between flock and sheep? They're the same thing. And I pointed out that sheep and sheep is the plural and the singular. <laughs> so I'm not, personally, I need some explanation here. Okay, this is what I think, Aaron, this is what I think the well-known pastor that Aaron is re- referencing means. Flock-focused shepherding would refer to thinking in terms of the church at large, systems, oversight, um, yeah, having a vision for the big picture. Sheep-focused would be those who are pastorally engaged with on the individual level, pastoral care, so on and so forth. Is it okay for pastors to be focused on the big picture, for some to be focused on the big picture and others to be focused on pastoral care. I honestly don't know where you're going to go with your answer. We might be, um, we might have some disagreement here. I'm not sure. So I'm a, it needs both. Okay. (laughs) I I don't believe that you can do Peanut butter and chocolate, brother. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going peppermint and chocolate, by the way. Oh, oh, okay. All right. (laughs) Moving right along. But I I believe you need both. You need both. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you can focus. I think you can have a season of focusing on one rather than the other. But I think if you are called to shepherd the church, you need to do both. Yeah. Well, honestly, this really just plays into how everybody's different. You know, they have different gifts. They have different temperaments. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not a big proponent of kind of the triperspectival approach to the pastoral makeup. If you're not familiar with that, it's, it's basically applying the, the concept of prophet, priest, and king to the work of pastoral ministry. And to briefly kind of delineate it, the the prophet would be preaching, teaching, kind of truth-telling, the you know public speaking kind of aspect, communication, um, that sort of thing, um, but mainly preaching. Uh, priest would be the relational work, counseling, pastoral care, visitation, those sorts of things. And the kingly aspect would be those kind of, you know, uh, vision casting systems, administration, managing, um, uh, you know, all, you know uh, strategy, all that sort of thing. So prophet, priest, and king. I think every pastor tends to be gifted in particular areas to different, you know, proportions. It's, it's rare to find someone say, I'm, you know, 33%, you know, in each category or something like that. I mean, maybe those guys exist, the super pastors, I guess. Uh, but, uh, but that's not me, right? I, I, I have a very shallow capacity for the kingly gifts. I'm just very, very low. Um, borderline incompetent when it comes to the <laughs> to the kingly gifts, and that you know I began you know to bump into that at my last pastor in particular because when I first went there it, it was uh, it was small you know it was a, it was a solo pastorate and it was somewhat manageable I could just kind of do the prophet priestly work and the you know the kingly gifts weren't very uh, you know weren't very demanding on me uh, but as the church grew I had to lean more into strengths that I didn't have. And exercise muscles that weren't very developed, and it became more and more difficult. So, you know, honestly, I do think there are pastors who they are wired in in a particular way. However, I don't know if this is where you know the um, premise for Aaron's question. I think having a flock focused gifting um, does not exempt you from sheep focused yep. ministry. Hundred you know? percent. You don't get to go. Well, I'm really a kingly guy, so I'm not going to do. And, and yeah. ultimately, the vision side of things is um, sured up and the foundation is based yeah. on who you know. 
Uh, my example is I actually worked on a sheep farm in Scotland. Okay. Four, four and a half thousand sheep. Okay. Um, and what I can tell you is the shepherd will know each sheep individually. He'll know the ones that are scrawny, the ones that are likely to run off, the ones that are, are kind of skiddy and kind of run all over the place. Yeah. But his ultimate aim is the entire flock, to keep them alive, to keep them well fed, to look after them. And so for me, if I worked on that farm and I chose one or the other, I guarantee you would have lost sheep. That's just at the end of the day. If we did one focus, you would end up having a whole flock that's not cared for. If mm. you did a whole flock focus, you would forget about the tiny little one that's kind of in the corner not being fed well. Yeah. So for me, it's uh, if you're called to pastoral ministry, you're called to shepherding the people on a large scale or on a small scale. Yeah. But you're still called to it. Yeah, my concern is that those who are would be flock focused, so to speak, would use that as a, a means to kind of, I don't know, shirk the responsibility to care for people. Um, and if you have good plurality, uh, if there are, you know, if you're not a solo pastor, there are other pastors, even if they're, you know, non-staff, you can, you know, you know, divide this burden up so much so that it's possible for a lead pastor or for others to be flock focused, so to speak. But that doesn't mean that they would say, I would never do any counseling. I would never do one-on-one discipleship. I would never do visitation. I would I never, you know, I would never interact individually. I'm just the flock guy. Um, but I think you could be sort of, this is my main area, as long as you're not. You know, Peter says in First Peter 5 that, you know, that shepherds are to, you know, pastor those that they are among, right? Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And I think that speaks to up-closeness. It speaks to embeddedness. It doesn't speak to this sort of detached, removed, over, you know, position of 100% oversight without uh, relational connection. All right. Aaron, great question. Uh, this comes from Landon on Facebook. Landon wants us to talk about scheduling or finding a rhythm, okay, along the same lines, of, uh, for pastoral visits. How do you schedule or find a rhythm for pastoral visits? I have a very short answer for this, and then I'll let you run with yours, Ross. Mine was I, I designated a day during my last pastorate you know, for the week. I said Tuesdays are my intensive relational days, um, every Tuesday of, of every week. And so that included counseling sessions and so on and so forth. Now, obviously, you know, a lot of, you know, when people you know, are asking for meetings, they can't always meet on Tuesdays and that sort of thing. And so you have to make concessions. But in general, the first place I would go is, are you available on Tuesday at a particular time? And I made that day, and that became part of the rhythm. I think people kind of knew. And then one Tuesday a month was my day to kind of drive around to visit the shut-ins and things like that. So once a month I was doing, I'm on, I'm on the move on that Tuesday. But I just picked a day and kind of drew a circle around it and said, this is going to be the you know, prioritized for this sort of thing, for visitation and and one-on-one kind of meetings that are pastorally intensive. Um, I had, you know, Thursdays I vaguely drew around for one-on-ones that were more personal discipleship, encouragement, fun meetings, like, you know, uh, going to visit guys at their workplaces or just having coffee with another elder or something like that. But counseling, visitation, I just picked a day. Mm. Um, I don't know if that... To be honest, um, when I thought about this and looked over ministry over the last decade, I, I have to sadly admit this is one of the poorest thing I think in, in, in my ministries is something that I have really struggled with. Hmm. And I kind of mourn over that in terms of certain church situations that I wished I, I was better. So I kind of looked more at the actual structure of the visitation, just certain things that I've learned over the years okay. that have just helped me. Um, and just a, just a couple that come to mind mainly is that timing is everything. 
Um, don't do a three-hour visit when a one-hour visit is actually more appropriate. <laughs> right. And don't set yourself to a one-hour visit if it's a hospital visit. You know, know who your sheep is, know who your flock is. If they are um, suffering health-wise, maybe 10 minutes. That, that yeah. might be all right. that can be managed. My wife um, actually worked as a palliative nurse um, and, and she used to often say, you know, if somebody is genuinely dying in a moment, they can do one or two minutes. Yeah. Um, and so, so for me, I used to do long visits and, and I learned very quickly that that was inappropriate. Uh, I think the second thing that I'm often reminded of is a visit is not just for the individual you're going to see, it's whoever else is in the That's household. Right. Yeah. Don't forget, you know, if you're, if you're visiting a husband, don't forget the wife is in the home or the kids are in the home or anything like that. Whoever's there is who you're visiting. Um, you might be just talking to one, but the whole home is seeing you. And then I think just the last thing, and, and this is, I think, personally, when I look over the last decade, one of the biggest mistakes I made is I didn't keep a record of what I was doing. And so I would end up visiting three or four people, you know, five times a year. And then one person just get one visit and, and it oh, felt uneven within the church. I, I couldn't remember information. I couldn't remember names and, and uh-huh. all these things. So keep a quick record. So just something, a uh, quick piece of advice in terms of rhythm. As soon as you're done with the visitation, if you jump in your car, go for a walk, do one of two things. Pull out your phone, make some notes as to what that visit has been or um, record, do a voice recording or something just to remind you. Uh, but for me, I fully agree, get a regular time um, and also just understand that you're going to make mistakes. I've made so many mistakes over the last 10 years and, and praise God, I, I now really enjoy pastoral visits that might not come naturally to you, but, but kind of keep going, keep loving the people. Um, and, and you will get there. That's good. Thank you, brother. Uh, this comes from uh, Ralton. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Ralton on Twitter it says, what criteria or guidelines would you suggest for dealing with parachurch ministries? Ooh, like, like seminaries even. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I'm going to try to shade this question a bit. I'm assuming he's talking about from a pastoral perspective, parachurch ministries that are looking for support perhaps or just the relationship between your local church and a parachurch, maybe? What are some criteria guidelines? The first thing, um, like number one for me is, what is the parachurch's, you know, that particular organization, what is their connection to or disposition towards the local church? Um, because, you know, parachurch means, means alongside the church. And, but very often it's uh, some parachurch ministries, particularly some campus ministries and, and things like that, almost serve as a substitute of some kind um, where the experience of that parachurch ministry is a replacement. So, you know, maybe I'm reading into Ralton's question a little bit, but I would remember when I was pastoring and people would call, um, particularly, you know, those who worked on college campuses and things like that, and they would want to know, could we support them? Um, You know, could they somehow come and advertise themselves at our church? Or, you know, would we add them to our missions budget or different things like that? And, you know, those were all, you know, open questions for us. But the first thing that I would want to know is, um, are you leaders? Are you members of a local church? Or is this your quote unquote church? You know, what church do you submit to? What leadership do you submit to in a local church? And for those that you're evangelizing, discipling, et cetera, is part of that that you're um, encouraging them to join a local church? Do you have on ramps, so to speak? Maybe it's not to one particular, um, but in, in your area, um, you know, are you, you know, funneling people towards 
the local church as the as the biblical expression of of discipleship and, and the pursuit of maturity? Um, those are key questions for me. I went even more basic. Okay. What is the gospel? Okay. All right. And how yeah. does the gospel feature in your ministry? Yeah. I've over the years I've had several parachurch ministries that you just wonder. Yeah. Do they even know Jesus? We're going rock climbing, Ross. We don't got time for that. <laughs> <laughs> We're just making, you know, friends. Yeah. 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 No. Um, so, <laughs> but but I think that's a genuine question because you're like, oh, what's your connection to a local church? My, my question is, what's your connection to Jesus? Yeah. Um, we can't support you financially, prayerfully, anything like that, unless we actually know you're pointing them to Jesus. Um, so that's where I would start. Um, and if they, if they say a less than satisfactory answer, um, that doesn't mean say goodbye, we're not getting involved. It just means that you should maybe want to walk alongside their leaders and see it as an evangelism opportunity. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, let's look at Mark's question here from Twitter. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm stumbling here because there's two I want to save for a later episode because they're pretty meaty. Uh, Mark on Twitter just wants to know, what are the most helpful ways a congregation can care for and encourage its pastors and their families? What a great question. And what a great heart Mark has to even ask such a thing. What's the most helpful way a congregation can care for and encourage its pastors and their families? Uh, the number one thing that comes to mind for me is um, that you just pray for them. You know, pastors and, and their families are under microscopes in ways that the others are not. They carry burdens in ways that others do not. And good pastors aren't constantly broadcasting that. They're not, you know, I mean, I guess there's some who are just so burdened down, maybe they're um, you know, getting passive aggressive in the pulpit and that sort of thing. But most pastors, they just, they carry all that behind the scenes. They're, um, you know, they're shouldering that burden without, you know, trying to be whiny or pathetic about it. And so the, you know, sometimes the assumption can be or presumption can be that they're, that they're doing great, everything's fine, um, but really just interceding for them, carrying them to the Lord in in prayer, constantly pray for your leaders. Um, and then more explicitly, the you know connection is is to actually encourage them. Tell them you know you know this is what I got out of your last sermon, or uh, I really appreciated when you did X, Y, and Z. Different things like that. It 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 just helps over time. Pastors know that they're not just you know throwing stuff out into outer space, and it's not yeah. finding any any you know any lodging in anyone's heart. I have a specific example um, in in recent kind of history. And I think this will describe kind of where I'm going to go from it. We had a couple in our church that recognized um, just how busy a season it was for my wife and I in ministry. I'd been preaching multiple times a week and it, and it was I was beginning to get tired and I think it was beginning to show a little bit. Mm. And so they came to us and they just simply said, hey, when we're tired and stressed out, we love to do a spa day. And I'm I'm kind of like, mm, mm, <laughs> I'm already feeling awkward. Okay. Um, but they were like, do you know what? What we want to do is we want to give you spa vouchers to go and enjoy this local spa. It was about 45 minutes away. At one out of our price range, no way we would have ever spent that money. To be honest, no way would I have went to a spa. Not my thing. But they went a step further. And they said, not only are we giving you this, these spa vouchers, but we're going to babysit your children. Mm. So go away for a whole day. We'll have them. We'll pick them up from school. We'll get them a meal. Um, all you have to do is pick them up at the end of the day. The, the whole day is yours. And so one of the things, I, when you care for your pastors, think about how you're caring for them. So if you're going to say, hey, we want to give you uh, this voucher to go and have a meal, think about whether that's to include the kids or not. Think about whether they have the time or not. You yeah. know, actually, I'm going to come to the office and I'm going to do this thing for you so you can go early home to your family. So don't just think about the gift or the word. 
think about how that would then work out. Um, and so that couple that taught us really quickly in a very simple way, don't just give something or say something, think how that would work out in their family situation. And, and for me, that was just wonderful. We had a whole day where we could relax and just yeah. catch up as as a, a married couple. But yeah, on the encouragement side as well, I just had that yesterday. I literally just had a phone call from someone who said, hey, I heard your message on Sunday. I want to encourage you. I, I love this bit and this bit. Just thank you so much for preaching. And it's not that it was flattery because it wasn't because I actually genuinely believe yeah. that this person is encouraging. So if if you don't actually love your pastor, don't give fake flattery. You know, it's, <laughs> right, it's yeah. the be real with them. Hey, this encouraged me. This challenged me. And just even saying sim- sim- something simple like you are a blessing. Yeah. It doesn't need to be more complicated. Just just right. that simple reminder. You are a blessing. That's great. It's great. No, it's good. Um, I think sometimes we just assume that the pastor's hearing that all the time from other people and, and uh, and very they often they are not. Yeah. 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 If you're listening to this and you think your pastor is getting loads of positivity and loads of words, yeah. they're, they're not. There's always opportunity to give more. Yeah. And especially like, like if you think, you know, do you feel over encouraged in your own <laughs> life? Um, the pastor is receiving compliance and, and yeah. criticisms that, you know, that you don't know about. They're coming into his email box. And even if that's not a deluge of things, there's just, you know, yeah. the, what Paul calls the daily pressure of his anxiety for the church. So he's carrying that around. Encouragement um, is, you know, copious encouragement, specific, general, or otherwise, uh, is super helpful. And then I just think, you know, the, you know, garden variety mindfulness of things like, you know, pastors who have families, they have this, you know, similar concerns to anyone, yeah. you know, to every non-pastor who has a family. They're trying to make time for their kids. They're trying to do family dinners together. So if you wouldn't appreciate somebody calling you during the dinner time hour, maybe you shouldn't call the pastor during that time. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, just different sort of things like, you know, to be mindful yeah. um, in that regard and, and, and basic etiquette applied could be helpful yeah. as well. And then there's all, always, you know, extraordinary things, sending people to a spa, vacation, I've got buddies that like they always have folks in their churches who have vacation homes and things, and they said, "I've never pastored I've never anyone. Been to one of those I've never had a, <laughs> I've never pastored somebody who had the money that had like, hey, we got a lake house pastor. We just want to bless you, send you. That that's never you know I never experienced that as a pastor. A couple of times since not being a pastor, um, but if you've got the means of things like that to give them time yeah. away, maybe gift cards to restaurants for date nights, yeah. you know things like that. Whatever you can do to kind of alleviate. And you know, help them get some recreation and, and rest. Can and I just make the alone. point of regular? Yeah. So, so I know here in the US, you have Pastor Appreciation Month. Yeah. We don't have that in the UK. Okay. Uh, we're more miserable. We don't have Appreciation Months. <laughs> we don't uh, appreciate you at all. But, but don't don't wait for one month. Yeah. Do you know? Be regular. Yeah. Um, one of the things I I love to do is regularly sending texts and emails just to say to people, I'm praying. This is what I'm praying for you. Yeah. Um, it literally, folks, it takes two minutes to to give an encouragement. And if you do that regular, what you're going to find is you're looking forward to actually yeah. doing that encouragement because you know the person's going to be encouraged. And there's a double blessing there. That's great. The last thing I would say is um, if your church does not have a sabbatical policy in place uh, for, for for ministry leaders in general, um, I would say, um, you know, not just pastors, but, but those who serve full-time in ministry capacities, if you don't have not just uh, generous vacation um, you know, policies, but a sabbatical policy, think about how you might lead that process or introduce that process. Um, it's very, uh, uh, you know, it's a tender thing for pastors to suggest that themselves. It seems self-serving. So if you're not a pastor, but you're in a position to have some kind of influence, 
um, and your church does not have a sabbatical policy, that may be something to um, to consider. And maybe we should have a an episode dedicated to that at some point. That would just be silent. sabbaticals. We would, we would be on sabbatical. It would be a sabbatical episode. This, it would be just you saying, hey, this is for the church. <laughs> Silence for half an mm, hour. It'd be very, that's, that, that's very artsy, very avant-garde. <laughs> if you enjoy the podcast, your listener, please give us a good review. You, we, we might read it if you give us a good review. Don't just tell Ross his accent is great. <laughs> Comment specifically on things that he said that you've enjoyed. Uh, if, and remember, Jared. Yeah. And. <laughs> Remember what? Until next time? No, just remember you. Oh, okay. I, got, I remember Jared. I, saw, I thought you were trying to cue me up to, to finish the episode. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> this is a bad ending. And now. remember, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church. 